Shane Kilkelly. I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. This time we are reading a very short article that has, has a lot going on. Um, the article is called A Study of Organizational Closure and Autopoiesis by... You know what? I don't know who this author is. It, the website is called <laughs> Harish's Notebook WordPress.com. Let's see if they actually publish their name here. Let's see. Harish Jose. Yep, that's who the author is. <laughs> anyway, we should have checked that beforehand, but whatever. Um, so this this article is a dizzying whirlwind tour of the concept of autopoiesis as it was described by. Uh, Maturana and Varela, like, um, originally, and then some, like, quotes from uh, thinkers that were kind of riffing off of them and such, um, and particularly building up to this uh, concept of organizational closure. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Kyle, what, what do you think of this article? Um, so this was my first exposure to uh, Maturana and Varela's ideas, uh, and, um, I mean, outside of other things we've read, but this, um, was really quite, it was quite a, a challenging read in a sense, because, um, there's a lot of technical definitions that are made here, uh, that on first glance seem kind of absurd. And then you really have to like <laughs> dig into them to understand yeah. like how they are, actually functioning and what is really meant by what is said uh because there are there's these very like absolute statements that are made about uh organisms which are qualified in quite subtle ways um and so uh yeah i, I think that that was one of my major thoughts another major thought here was just that like this doesn't necessarily seem to be coming at cybernetics from the same sort of perspective we saw in Pickering, uh, with this sort of focus on performance, the focus on black box ontology, um, that kind of stuff. It, it, this seems to be more in accordance with what Pickering describes as Ashby's early work. Um, and uh, and so I, I think those were my my two initial thoughts uh, coming into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, agreed on both fronts. I think this is this is a very interesting sort of introduction to the the origins, the concepts. Um, it's you know it, I really really appreciate that the author put this together because it's easier than just reading all of Maturana and Varela's work. The thing that that it really highlights though is that I think it's. Um, as you said, it's 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 not where say beer and pickering and so on end up, right? Like this this is kind of on the on the spectrum of like positions on the question of like being versus becoming and so on. Uh, Maturana and Varela seem to be much, or well, Maturana at least is much closer to that kind of being end of the spectrum. He's, he's he seems to be concerned with asking questions about how things are locked down rather than asking questions about how they are open. Whereas then you get to Beer, Pickering, and so on, who are further towards that other end of, like, more interested in the ways things are open and the way they evolve rather than the ways in which they're, they're, they're locked down and, and completely impervious to, to their environments or whatever. Um, and I agree on the terminology point as well. Like, the, um, the, the, the terms organization and structure 
are very important in this article. Um, I've this I've this funny feeling that when Maturana says those those words, they don't mean what we think they mean, <laughs> you know. So um, it's certainly not the common sense definition of of organization. It's something much more abstract and, and weird, you know. Right. So. Um Many uh, of our listeners may be familiar with the uh, the, t- the term structure uh, from uh, the school of thought of structuralism. Um, and when um, Maturana and Varela are talking about uh, structure, uh, or sorry, when they're talking about organization, they mean something much closer to what is usually meant by structure in structuralism. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually when we think about organization in our everyday life, we're kind of just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, an organization, like uh, uh, like the like an NGO or something, right? Like, oh, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's NASA or it's, it's like, uh, you know, the, the PTA, uh, local PTA or something like that. It's, it's kind of a... a, a commonplace notion um but i think because of uh the background of these two thinkers in biology um they speak about organization in a much more general and abstract sense uh it, it like basically like how is it that beings have uh this sort of body with organs kind of uh structure Ah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Straight into that tar pit. (laughs) Uh, This conceptual inversion is really difficult to work with. But, like, yeah, how is it that that beings are beings with organs, right? Like, 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 how is it that we have a kind of ideal template which informs our existence that's the kind of thing that is meant by organization here or organ yeah like it 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 is it is it is uh it is very much our um our species um or the species of a thing the type of a thing sure yeah yes it is it's it is its type yeah it is uh yeah if you think about it in programming terms you can think about um in a typed language, each type has certain uh, affordances. Like every instance of that type can only do the things that the type allows it to do. Right. So, uh, if if you uh, have a string, uh, you cannot. Uh, trying to think about a thing that a string cannot do. Well, if it, if, it's, if we're talking Perl, it can do anything. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. I mean, I, in a strongly typed language. A string, I do not think, can evaluate the truth or falsity of something, right? Um, like, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of really tricky things you could do with you know, <laughs> programming, but yeah. yes, I, I think that is the case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all I have to do is gesture to Perl and all of these assertions fall apart, right? Um. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm just thinking back to my, like, early computation, like, my, my computation theory class where we were just, like, you know, developing programming languages out of open and closed brackets, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we before we go much further, I'll definitely kind of chime in that like, um, or for the sake of the listeners, that 
Uh, my sort of take on this is that uh, Maturana and Varela had the first word on autopoiesis, but they definitely didn't get the last word on it. Um, when we get on to thinkers like uh, Beer, Espeo, Pickering, these kind of people, they, um, they, they're inspired by this work, but they, 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 they borrow the terminology, but they loosen it up quite a bit and, and sort of jiggle the definitions to get a bit closer to, frankly, closer to reality. Um, there's a sense in which this, this, um, this particular way of thinking about autopoiesis is, is a kind of paranoiac delusion in some sense, right? Like, um, and I think, yeah, again, beer and pickering end up in a much better place. Um, so just bear that in mind going in. This this is a jumping off point, and it's also, I mean, one of the reasons to read this for the show is that it's a, it's a provocation to think about these problems and to do further research to come up with um, come up with better answers. So we get kicked off, right? That like the author is interested in the article. He's going to talk about organizational closure. This this term uh, that comes up. But in order to get there, we're going to start with this other term uh, or other phrase, information tight. Um, we get a quote from Ashby's Introduction to Cybernetics, uh, quoting here that cybernetics might, in fact, be defined as the study of systems that are open to energy, but closed to information and control. Systems that are information tight. Now, th- this, is, this is tricky, right? It's, it's a bit confusing, right? Like, it's, it's systems that are open in one way, but closed in another, right? Yes. Um, so... Uh, the, the, the main issue I think that I, I ran across here is that, um, information is not defined here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, well, if, 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 if it's riffing on, on Ashby, it's going to be like the, the Shannon information theory sort of thing, uh, where information is kind of the opposite of entropy or whatever, like information is distinguishable states of a, of a thing. And that the ability to draw a distinction is oh this is such a deep fucking topic but like like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but for for Ashby information is very tightly related to variety um, and like the variation of possibilities and so on and information is not like a kind of proper noun of its own it doesn't it doesn't exist in in sort of. Uh, separation from from like these interactions so like it is very interesting to me that you have a um a system here where or, or like a typology here where uh you can have informationless energy yeah that is itself quite interesting <laughs> yep. right like uh-huh. because it's open to energy but closed to information and control so it means that there there is a kind of energy that has no information associated with it, um, uh, because otherwise, how could it be ingested by the organism, right? The system. So I'll I'll confess here that I'm in the process of reading Ashby's introduction, and I'm about halfway through, and I don't think I've come across this quote yet. And I, I have a feeling that that book is building up to something big. So there, there might be some, some illumination when I get to that part. But um, there's something funny here, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's very strange to me because entropy is inherently related to energetics. So, like, this is, this is very strange that, 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 that this, is, uh, this very strict, defi- uh, this strict uh, distinction is being drawn between these two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's strange, and I think like to kind of to kind of gesture back to Pickering, like Pickering very much kind of has this thing of like, 
you know, Ashby and some of the earlier cybernetics thinkers gesture in the right direction, but they don't they don't quite get it. And it's it's when you reach you reach Beer and a couple of other thinkers like that that it starts to really come together. Um, but yeah, uh, well worth noting this this kind of this this issue up front. We get another quote from this this fellow uh, Bernard Scott uh, that an organism does not receive information as something transmitted to it, rather as a circularly organized system it interprets perturbations as being informative. So this this is the kind of really interesting idea here that like we, we, we tend to think of information as something that is like injected into the organism, right? Like that the, the teacher opens the skull of the student and like places a book inside and then closes the skull. But what actually happens is that the the, the transmitter puts the information into the environment and then the other system either detects it or doesn't, right? That, like, it's, 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 not a, it's not a single action, it's two actions chained together. Um, and this, this is quite subtle, right? But it's pretty important, right? That, like, the, the organism as a self-contained, self-organizing machine, it's not receiving information so much as it is detecting disturbances in its environment, tricky right like this takes a little bit of pondering but it makes it makes total sense yeah uh so the place where i'm sort of most familiar with this kind of notion is uh from um uh communication which i i did my ma in and uh there's a very famous um essay uh written by uh stuart hall called uh encoding decoding and it, it it's very much making this point that uh subject who is uh, uh, experiencing some form of media decodes it on their their own terms because there, there is an encoding of the message by whoever produced it and then there's a decoding by whoever received it. And the decoding is like an active process that is something particular to that uh, reader or viewer or whatever, the recipient. Right. And that's that that that's uh, that's kind of the gist of Kant as well, right? Just a yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I guess the thing is that Kant wasn't really working with an information framework, but yeah, absolutely. There is that kind of like that that sort of like radical subjectivity mm-hmm. that's that's happening. Yeah, and there's there's a shared there's a shared idea underneath all that, there right? that like that the the system in question only admits information slash communication which it is structurally capable of receiving, right? Um, and the, the, there's an example that I, that I love um, to come back to for this one, that, like, um, uh, the, sh- the short sort of the story of it is that, like, there's a species of frog that, like, snatches, it flies out of the air to feed itself, uh, snatches them using its tongue. We all, we all know that kind of frog, right? But anyway, when biologists studied this thing, they were kind of wondering, like, how does it, how does it do such an impressive trick with such a small brain, right? Because, like, flies move really quickly, they move in unpredictable patterns, or, like, very difficult to predict patterns. How is it precisely grabbing these things? And when they investigated, what they kind of found was that, yes, the, the frog's brain is tiny, but that's not where the information processing is done, or the, the, the um, that's not where the smarts are. It turned out that the optic nerve and the eye and the tongue were all kind of directly connected to one another, such that the eyeball would directly detect the movement pattern of food, send a trigger to the tongue that would then snatch it. So cognition was never involved. There was never a point at which the frog would identify its food, 
it would just instinctively do it at a level way below its kind of like brain thought kind of process. Um, and the only reason that was possible was because of this, the structure of exactly how its nervous system was laid out. But it also meant that it was structurally incapable of ever actually thinking about the flies, right? Which right. means right. that if you take that frog and you put it in front of like immobilized flies on the floor, like, I mean, put it in it's so that it can see them, it'll sit there and stare at them. Like food, right there. It's right there for the taking. It'll sit there and stare at them until it starves to death. <laughs> because because it is structurally incapable of receiving that information. Yeah, and that that gels perfectly with what they're they're talking about here. It's um it's really baffling, right? Because like we, we have this very strong notion of like cognition and like where where the smarts are located. They're located in the, the conscious mind. And the conscious mind identifies objects with categories in this kind of Aristotelian kind of way like aristotle right like and yet here we have a living system that is doing something completely different and doing doing it in such a way that there is a pathology to it that there is a a very obvious um in that case kind of a problem with the way it is structured Um, yeah yeah and um it's it's quite again it's quite obvious how this is like coming out of biology uh and and it's 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 quite interesting uh also that, like, you know, uh, Maturana sort of defines cognition as something that operates in exactly the way you're describing. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the kind of cognition that we usually think about. You can still think about these kind of, like, dumb, nervous interactions as being cognitive in some way. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the tightness here in this kind of thing refers to this um, internal structural loop or the internal loop of the system, right? That the the organism is internally kind of like doing its own thing primarily and only secondarily receiving information from from the world. Um, This then leads us on to Maturana and Varela properly and their their concept of organizational closure, right? Um, And according to our author here, they were trying to answer two questions. Um, First question what is the organization of the living thing? And secondly, what takes place in the phenomenon of perception? Um, so, yeah, how is the living thing organized and what exactly is going on when that, that organization interfaces with, with the world and perceives it? Um, and this is where they come then to the, their concept of autopoiesis, right? Which is this self-generation. This is a thing we've covered on the show before, but just for the sake of anyone who's joining us now, Autopoiesis is basically self-generation, the, con- the continuous production of the self. So that frog, right, like it was doing all kinds of processes, such as feeding and, I don't know, swimming or breathing and all this kind of stuff, reproductive processes and so on. But there's, there is a process going on there in the, in the sort of full organism, which is just itself, right? Like the, the continuous production of itself. And when that stops, when the frog is, say, shot or drowned or whatever, that loop stops, Right, so that, that, that's kind of what they're getting at there. That there is there is some there is some element of the system which is concerned with simply perpetuating itself. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and we may generally think about this as being uh, quite a um, open ended and fluid kind of notion, uh, but for uh, Maturana and Varela, this is this is this is actually something quite static. And, and def- definite. Yeah, because they, they use the term, uh, like, so they, they equate organization um, 
so like I, I think that maybe there's a there's a better better place to start here with this this quote that's brought in from uh, John Mingers. In brief, a living system such as a cell has a, an autopoetic organization. That is, it is self-producing. It consists of processes of production which generate its components. These components themselves participate in the processes of production in a continual recursive recreation of the self. Autopoetic systems produce themselves and only themselves. So autopoetic organization is the kind of the, 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 the key word there, right? That this is um, the organizational part of the organism. Like, and again, organ, right? Like organs, organisms, organization. That's, that's the kind of the, the key concept to, to get there is, is identity, right? Like it is, it is in the sense of like the mathematical identity function, right? Like where if you pass in the number one, it spits out one. If you pass in two, it spits out two. So there's this loop of just it's going one 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 continuously, and there's no deviation from that, which is a very kind of like as as you said, right? Like we we tend to think about um, uh, these systems as being pretty pretty open, like pretty flexible. That like over time they mutate and change a little bit. Um, right here at the beginning of this concept, like the, the the origin point for this concept, it's very locked down. It's very like Kind of like a, I don't know, like a kind of Leibniz kind of monad thing, right? Like it, it, self is self is self is self and is isolated and so on, you know? Um, mm. Yeah, tricky. Yeah, no, it is very interesting, like, when you read a statement like, autopoetic systems produce themselves and only themselves. I feel like that can't be true. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, but then it's like, oh, but what do they mean by producing themselves, right? <laughs> what, do they, what do they mean? And by it's like, ah, <laughs> I see. Okay, so in producing myself, I have all these side effects that I produce, right? Um, because that is inherent in producing myself. But it's like the 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 determinative loop is to produce myself. And everything else is a side effect. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Tricky, right? So, like, it's it's like as as we said towards the beginning, like there are, there are issues with this these concepts as they emerge, which I think are corrected by later thinkers. Um, but we're we're going to stick with what's what's here, though. Um, the next section then brings us on to this distinction between organization and structure, which we gestured at before. That. And so this this is John H. Little, um, and again, all, all, a lot of these people who are quoted are, are kind of elaborating on on Maturana and Varela. Um, so the quote here is that two important principles underlying autopoiesis are structural determinism and organizational closure. Organization refers to the relations between components which give a system its identity. If the organization of a system changes, its identity changes. Structure refers to the actual components and relations between components that make up a particular example of a type of system. So this, yeah, like what we were saying, with the, like this is, organization is kind of like class, right? Like it's the, the abstract blueprint of, um, if you can imagine the ideal frog, right? The, the abstract br- blueprint of frog, that's the organization. And then structure is the particular glob of cells and molecules and particular material components that makes up a particular frog. The, one of the examples the, that's given here is um, the example of a pencil, like a, a very simple mechanical device, that we, have, we recognize a particular thing as being organized as a pencil. 
despite the fact that it could vary in many ways, like it could be made of plastic, it could be made of wood, um, it could, oh geez, I don't know, like imagine all kinds of different pencils, but we... It could be mechanical, it could not be mechanical, all that kind of stuff. Right, exactly. But apparently, like this, th- these are all organized as a pencil, um, despite their structural differences. Oh, there, this, there's, there's a certain, I think there's a problem here. It, it kind of is, there's a stench of Platonism <laughs> and, and kind of Aristotelian yes. categorization that I find, uh, uh, wretched, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, um, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier the notion of type and, um, I think that you, you hit it on the head there that it's probably more informative to think about this as like class. Like this is, this is very much like the object oriented and not, in the way that philosophers mean that um, <laughs> approach to ontology, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you build up the classes and then the classes have instances. Um, so this is, this is very different from what we were seeing in Pickering, right? Um, yes, I, I, I think so. I think it is because it like, I mean, I, I think there is a certain kind of value to this mm-hmm. in, um, the sort of like givens of biological research being articulated in a general philosophical way. And mm, like it, it is, uh, it, 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 it means like that there are the concerns of what is being studied here are very different from what Pickering is talking about. But at the same time, like a lot of what Pickering was talking about came out of biology, right? And so it's like there's a different understanding of biology at work here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, as, it is, as, as you said, it, it, yes, it, it is about categories. It is about organization. Um, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is very much, yeah, it is coming out of that Arist- Aristotelian tradition of biology. And... Uh, I mean, like, I guess what I would say is that, like, this approach to biology appeals to different intuitions than the ones that we have discussed so far in sort of like, just you know, these kind of more open understandings of what is biological. So, like, it's not that, that this is unintuitive. It's just appealing to different intuitions we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. I think I think the thing that stands out to me here is that um, with, with regards to the Pickering thing is that like in the cybernetic brain Pickering is is also has a clear influence from uh, Deleuze and Guattari, and I think I I preferred their kind of approach to these questions quite a bit like where they they, they have a, they have a similar sort of concept with like assemblage and diagram, but it's massively more open because. I think that Maturana is trying to always answer questions about how things are closed and how they're locked down, whereas Deleuze and Pickering and so on, and even Beer, are much more interested in the ways that things are open and the way that they are dynamic. And so their, their, their dispositions are very different, even if the kind of frameworks are kind of similar if you squint at them. But the, disp- the dispositions are very different, I think. Yes, there are different dispositions. Um... I think that when it comes to, uh, you know, like obviously a really important concept for uh, uh, Maturana is autonomy. And if autonomy is your starting point for examination, um, then 
these kinds of questions about uh, autopoiesis are very important. Whereas I feel like for Deleuze and Guattari, um, it's not really their interests. They're, they're, they're not really like, it, it, I, I don't get a strong sense that, that they're, they're really that interested in autonomy and autopoiesis mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because they have a kind of, uh, they have a kind of faith in universal being that, um, renders autonomy less valuable than it might be for somebody else. Yeah, that, that's my 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 general read on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's that's definitely fair. I think I think that there's there's definitely some concern for autonomy, but I think on the spectrum, yeah, I think we, we've we've identified two 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 poles kind of here, right? Like where on the one hand you've got this this notion of like the organism as being a a sort of tight and isolated thing that is that is in the next section we'll get onto it's like that that it is in contact with its environment but there's something about it that is like self-isolated in a kind of monadic kind of way and then at the other end of the spectrum you have the emphasis on like cosmic force and the the organism being a location of crossover of cosmic forces and i think maybe it doesn't want to bend the stick a bit too far in the other direction i think i definitely agree um but there's, I think, so this, this is still a huge sort of, uh, huge sort of area of like research and thought, right? Like, it's not like, um, we're not going to find the, the answers to it in, in right now. Yeah. The, like this, this goes back to the beginning of philosophy in the pre-Socratics and, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, it is, a like, I, I guess, you know, both, both of these approaches appeal to different fundamental intuitions we have about reality. And, um, we need to be centrists on this issue, you know, <laughs> reach across the aisle. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess that's kind of what beer was trying to do. I right? think so. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it is, um, Whew, uh, yeah, uh, that's a different uh, that's a different episode. We yeah, got, <laughs> we <gotta> talk about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wouldn't that be great though? If in like a, an hour and a half episode, we could put an end to an entire fucking research program. Oh yeah, like, like ontology, metaphysics, like no problem. Just boom, 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 solved. Let's move on. Without our without our institutional backing, we're never we're never going to get taken seriously. With <laughs> but anyway, um, well, it's it's like that episode of The Good Place where it was the one stoner from Calgary who who in a in a in a drug induced trip uh, intuited like ninety percent of what heaven is actually like. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Um, the next section then brings uh, us to the the kind of more structural part of it, right? Like st the structural determinism, um, and the basic concept here is that like the behavior of a of the system as it like receives information, or whatever, is not controlled by its environment or specified by its environment, but is entirely due to its own structure. Um, and this means that like these these living things, these autopoetic systems, don't have inputs or outputs. Nor and they can't receive or produce information in any sense. So this is, oh boy, I don't know. This is really fucking tricky because, like, th this is a thing that, like, say Ashby goes over that, like, the the majority, like, for a closed machine, like, its its behavior is coming from inside of itself, right? That like it it has it's because of state inside of itself that it it re responds in certain ways, but 
when you it seems that when you get to like with beer like when you get to much more complex machines um they have this kind of openness where they're simultaneously like combining internal state with external state to produce um produce responses um so th this is really far off on one end of the spectrum here right that like the the response of a system is entirely due to internal factors and never never due to external factors um and yet there is something to it right like there's something here that's compelling yes like i i think it's so I kind of think about this in terms of like uh, uh, programming and the notion of pure purity versus impurity, right? And um, you 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 can have a language like Haskell that aims very strongly towards like mathematical purity, right? A function only does what that function is meant to do. It, it takes inputs, it produces outputs, and that's the end of the story. And there's no side channel. There, there's no side effect. Yeah. So a side effect is like if you have a function and in the process of that function, it produces an effect that is not spe like specific, specific to the inputs and outputs that that function is supposed to provide. So for, for an example for the listener, just that this, we're getting a little bit abstract there, but for, for, imagine... A mathematical function such as square, right? You feed in two, you get out four. You feed in four, you get out sixteen, or whatever. Uh, that's the square root of four, isn't it? Oh, whatever. But now imagine, now imagine the same. So, like with that one, it's pure because there's a direct relation between input and output, and there's no surprises. There's nothing weird happening. Now imagine the square function, except you give it the number four. It gives you the number sixteen, but it also goes to your porn folder, zips it up, and emails it to your grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird, right? <laughs> that would be a side effect, and it, 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 which has nothing to do with either its inputs or its outputs. And that's, that's the impure version of the square function. <laughs> and the, the thing is that side effects are actually necessary for computer programs to interact with the user dynamically. Or to interact with anything, because without that, it would just be literally a black box that just gets warmer over time yes yes exactly yes yes um yeah e even if it successfully computes something it would not reveal the computation to the world because that would be a side effect of the computation uh and so i feel like the autopoiesis function can kind of be thought about in this way where it's like yes everything the function does is determined internally However, it does have interactions with the world, and it therefore has side effects. Right. right. And it, they, they do admit this, right? Like where they, they have this term for like they, what they call structural, structural coupling, that this, the, system, the system is structurally coupled to the world. But the claim here is that the, the system does interact with the world, but only at the level of structure and never at the level of organization, which I find is a very strong claim. <laughs> It, it's like the kind of like bizarre computational gymnastics they had to do with Haskell in order to make it like print it print to the screen, yeah. right? Like to just print yeah. text to the screen. Like this, it, it, it's like oh, okay, you had to do some like really wild stuff to make that happen, uh, but it works. And um, I, 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 I think it's it's a similar kind of like outlook. That, you know, the real work we're doing here is the autopoiesis. 
But yeah, we do need structural coupling with reality, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, you know, with the rest of reality in order to 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 uh, to have this be like something that has some plausibility to it, right? Whereas whereas the beer slash pickering view is that the the coupling to reality is primary, and the autopoiesis is a secondary internal concern. Um, I mean, significant, but well, it's not. It, it, it's it's after the interaction, right? Yeah, like I feel like context is way more important in that point of view. Uh and and um what so thinking about this like kind of uh in a more practical sense as opposed to like a highly conceptual sense. <laughs> um like these what it means that the structure determines the behavior of of the of the organism uh is that a organism only affords certain kinds of behaviors to reality, like our frog, right? With the with the the eyes and the and the th- the flies and the tongue, right? Yes, uh, but you can think about this in terms of like a more radical interaction with the environment and what this means, though. Like, you know, uh, so if I, as a human being, am hit by shrapnel and it tears off my arm. So this is this is a radical disintegration or radical uh, perturbation that is being exposed to my structure. Now the reason why my arm can be torn off is because part of my structure is to have an arm. And so my structure determines the fact that my arm is being torn off because I have an arm as part of my structure. If I if I did not so if I was an mm-hmm. octopus, then I would not be able to have my arm torn off by shrapnel because I would not have the property of having an arm. Mm-hmm. Right? That wouldn't be part of my structure. I would have tentacles, but I would not have an arm. Right? And so that is the sense it's like, oh like you might look at something like someone being blown up by an artillery shell and you say, oh, that's the the environment determining what happens. <laughs> but these people would say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not true. The structure of the organism is determining what's happening because the structure exposes certain types of beings to the rest of reality. Um, so when we, like, when we think about it at this kind of like limit case of like extreme autonomy that's kind of what they're saying they're not saying there's no interaction with the re- with the rest of the environment they're saying that the 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 structure the autonomous structure is always primary in uh determining what kinds of interfaces can happen um so yeah it, it, it is a uh, like again thinking back to that kind of object oriented sort of point of view that's what's going on here, right? The class only affords certain kinds of interactions to the rest of the world. And I think I think we can kind of detect here that this is, it's, ooh, I mean, it's instructive in some ways, but yeah, from that example, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's got, it's got something upside down, you know, something is backwards in this account. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, um, it's kind of pushing to the limit the notion of autonomy, right? Um, and and it, it, it's just like maybe in that interaction between the shrapnel and my body, what's actually important here is like something a little bit more um, common to both 
the material that is affecting my body and my body, right? Like that there, there are interactions there that are orthogonal to my structure, which may be really the more significant thing than the fact that like the part of my body that has formed into an arm um, is being lost and its armness is like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the, the array of attributes that I have, like arm, arm equals two is decremented to arm equals one. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Whereas like by contrast, the kind of, um, <clears throat> the kind of black box ontology we get through Pickering or even the kind of, um, the kind of Deleuzian view of the world or whatever would be that like the, there is the, 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 those kind of real components or that the real interactions are primer are prior to the formation of the the subject system they're 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 prior to the organizational loop of the um of the organism and that this kind of like in a kind of Lacanian sense right that the, the traumatic intrusion of the real into the into the subject is it, that that kind of happens first and then like any any kind of consideration of of properties or whatever is is secondary and is is a kind of illusory kind of overlay. So I mean, there's there's something in, there's something there's something that ends up being useful here to the practice of cybernetics, right? There is this this concept of uh, largely autonomous self-producing systems, but in this initial formulation, it's very strange and kind of straitjacketed in a kind of paranoic kind of way, right? Like um, I find, it, find this, mm-hmm. this to be. It's a very illuminating read because it, it sort of highlights these these initial problems, right? Um, another problem that like we get onto here is this notion that like, well, in with this kind of organizational closure, like it presents a problem to the way we think about processes, right? Because we we tend to think of like input goes to process goes to output, but if all this stuff is true, then we have to think 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 of it differently, right? Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a quote here from, from Little that an organizationally closed system is one in which all possible states of activity always lead or to or generate further activity within itself. Organizationally closed systems do not have external inputs that change their organization, nor do they have outputs in, term of their, in terms of their organization. Ooh, I don't know, right? Because like... If if my organization, if 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 the if the self loop, right, the, the 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 boot loop of the of the organism, is moving through time and it it very visibly changes, right? Like I mean, organisms grow and they mutate. I mean, at at, at the limit, you have the horrific mutation of the um, caterpillar into a butterfly. How 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 would you square that with like organizational? Platonism, I guess, like, like it's, it's like, oh no, the, the ideal caterpillar is eternal, and I don't, what, what the fuck happens? Like, d- 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 what happens when it transmits into a butterfly? I don't, I don't know. It's weird. It's because the uh, the organism accepts energy, but it does not accept information, right? So it's like, okay, we're we're taking in energy. We've hit some kind of threshold internally. And now it's time to metamorphize because that's what um, is built into the organization of that organism, right? Like the, the caterpillar butterfly couple. Um, that's how you would frame that. It seems implausible. It does, yeah. And especially because, like, I mean, we, we got such kicks out of, like, beer and his kind of thing of, like, 
oh, look, you know, these, these self-organizing systems, they, they have to come to balance in general, but then they also have to come to balance over time. And so the effective way to do that is to firstly be effective in adapting to your circumstances, but then also change yourself to make yourself more adaptable. Like that, that, that has to be mutation at the organizational level in this, in this terminology. Like it's, it seems weird that that would be static, right? I, I think the counterpoint that would be made is, and yet caterpillars re- reliably become butterflies. Mm. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Like that, 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 that species behavior is evident in a very general sense that is not circumstantial. Um, like, you know, yeah, it's circumstantial to a degree. There's like cases where it doesn't happen, but you know, more or less caterpillars given enough energy will become butterflies. Um, yeah, that's the tricky thing with this, right? That like, there's, there's something about this that makes a lot of sense. Like there, there, there is, um, cause in, in general, yeah. Like if, if a, if a piece of the world self-organizes such that it walls itself off largely from other influences and protects its own internal processes and allows a space for itself to become more complex internally whilst rejecting complexity, um, from the outside, like like when we were reading that thing about um, the multi-scaled law of requisite variety, right? That like if if a system is not sufficiently organized, it will be impinged upon by its environment. Maturana and Varela are going in the opposite direction here. We're insisting that to be organized at all is to be organized in such a way that you cannot be impinged upon. So there's there's something to it, but I I think that the position is far too strong, right? Like it's yes. there's there's very clearly a slippage or a kind of wiggle room in the organization of autopoetic systems that allows for adaptive mutation at the organizational and structural levels. It seems very strange to me that they're insisting that only one of them is adaptive and the other is constant. Right. So this is again like in OOP. Uh, in object-oriented programming, if you try to pass a value to a class, you're going to get an error because classes are not the sorts of things that take values, right? They they don't take arguments. They're 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 uh, yeah they're uh, static. Um, uh, once they've been declared, that's all there is to it. So when they say uh, organize organizationally closed systems do not have external inputs that change their organization, nor they outputs in terms of their organization. That's the same thing as saying a class does not uh, take arguments and does not produce uh, outputs. It doesn't, doesn't uh, produce uh, results. Uh, And, 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 and it's, it's only the instance of the class that would do that. Right. It makes sense. It makes sense internally, like as a model, but I, I don't think it matches reality. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, yeah, and, and I, what, what I would say is, like, anybody who has worked with OOP <laughs> yeah. will, will begin to understand, like, intuitively how difficult this this uh, construct is to maintain in the face of uh, dynamic reality, right? Uh, uh, that This is a... It, it, it's very, very difficult to, to, to make it sufficiently dynamic uh, in order to function. I mean, it, there, there are plenty of programs out there that run and they do it, but it, it requires a lot of a lot of extra work <laughs> to make sure that there's a reconciliation between these totally static things and, uh, 
and the environment. Um, but yeah, does it does does this uh, construct we have of in, in thought that we instantiate in computer programs match up to the way uh, organisms work? Again, I, I would agree with you that this seems implausible. Uh, it, it, like I just I don't I don't think we have like a telos as an organism to which we grow into. Like it just it's it's much more open than that. That the process, like all all processes, and I think in reality are are kind of contingent. And that's the thing that's not present here is any kind of contingency, right? Like, uh, but it's the thing that is present in yeah. Again, my my, my favorite group of group of folks, right? Beer, Pickering, Deleuze and Guattari, right? They're 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 thinking about contingency and developmental openness in a way that the 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 folks being quoted in the article aren't. Ugh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think like, you know, it is more convincing the notion that we are an aggregate process created by like many different levels of uh, interacting suborganisms, right? Like so like the our gut bacteria, our you know, um our, our, our DNA and RNA, the viruses in our body, like the, like all, all these different things that are, that are interacting with each other to produce uh, us as, as human beings. That is a lot more plausible to me than the notion that like all of those things are structurally subservient to uh, the production of the human organism. Yeah, 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 totally. Indeed. <laughs> that but again, that is my that's my point of view on reality, right? Like I, I will not say that like this is that the, the, the perspective is being presented here is like so implausible that I cannot see value in it. Right? No, like, totally. It's like, well, it's like, yeah, because, you know, our bodies do constantly wipe out cancerous cells and they you know, they reliably digest food in a way that is going to and allocate it in a way that's going to produce something recognizably human. Uh, that th you know that kind of continuity exists, but I I, I prefer to think of it as a a a, a, pro a product of a very complex system, uh, as opposed to a blueprint that is like organizing everything in this world towards its own autopoiesis. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a it, it, what you're getting at there is an emphasis on on becoming and production as as an active performative process uh rather than like following a script. Um that like it's 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 not an accident that like like beer picks up some of these terms or even like I think in a section we're going to get onto here that like um these other other thinkers like um pick up these terms and modify them because I think they probably saw these exact same objections as like, mm, okay, that's a useful idea, but oh boy, you're, you're really nailing it to the fucking floor there. Like, let's, let's loosen those, loosen those nails a little bit, you know? Uh, we do get onto this um, later section of like how the concept of autopoiesis was extended because um, Matruna and Varela did not apply this to like social machines um, or to like, so they, they were concerned only with the, the tier of biology um, and they, they thought that it didn't apply 
um, to to sort of levels of reality above that, um, to these these kind of like social organisms that we've become familiar with in the course of the show. Uh, but Beer does extends it, and this this other guy uh, Zelenye is that the correct pronunciation? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, Zelenye. Yeah. Um, and reading from the article here, he interprets organizations as networks of interactions, reactions, and processes identified by their organization, networks of rules of coordination, and differentiated by their structure, the specific uh, spatiotemporal manifestations of applying the rules of coordination under specific conditions, right? So we've got, you know, the organization being the network of rules, and then the structure being the particular things that happen when those rules are applied, Following these definitions, Zelenyi argues that the only way to make organizational change effective is to change the rules of behavior, the organization, first, and then change processes, routines, and procedures, the structure. So this is getting interesting, right? This is like uh, Beer, Zelenyi, and these other folks applying these ideas to social machines um, rather, rather than just biological machines. And I think this, like, social machines do exhibit this flexible characteristic in their organization, right, where it's less pinned down than a frog or a cell was in the biological strata. The, the, the cultural social stratum and its various weird machinery seems to have a lot more slippage. Yeah, but at the biological level, we also have the notion of evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, which is slippage writ large, right? <laughs> which, which, like, you cannot really integrate into an Aristotelian framework. Like, Aristotle had no understanding of... of, of I mean, uh, sorry, he, he had... I guess he had an understanding of, like, animal husbandry, and he had an understanding of, like, generational change... But, like, it's... It, okay, like, here's the thing, right? Is if everything is an instance of a class and classes do not take values, they do not produce outputs, how do classes ever change? Mm-hmm. Or where do they right? come from in the first place and so on? Where do they come from in the first place, right? So it's like, it, it's it's like there is a kind of plausibility to this theory in terms of uh, describing... Organ, uh, organ, organ, an organism's autonomy, but as soon as you start to talk about things like change of any kind, you end up in a real problem because uh, Zelenyi is is saying here. Um, uh, following these definitions, Zelenyi argues that the only way to make organizational change effective is to change the rules of behavior, the organization first, and then change processes, routines, and procedures, the structure. So if the organization is discrete from any given uh, interaction with the environment, how would it ever change, right? Like, it, 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 it is not exposed to its environment in that way. Only the structure is exposed. And I, I think the, the example of evolution is really crucial there because, like, in, in the sort of broader span of the process of evolution, the, the species, insofar as it exists, and the particular individuals are involved in this weird recursive, like, Mobius strip loop where one influences the other and then the other influences the one. So it's the, the activities of the individuals feed back onto the development of the supposed class. Um, there has to be a crossing of the levels here. Like, I mean, when, when Maturana and Varela talk about these, like, organization and structure, they're strictly tiered. 
like it's a it's a transcendental sort of thing. But there, there for any of this to make sense, there has to be some sort of crossing of the crossing of the streams, right? Like and the crossing of the those levels through time, like in other words, an entanglement, which bl- blows up their notion of it being isolated and and sort of eternal and only self referential, purely autonomous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's like it's really interesting here because there is a there is a kind of conceptual value to this notion that Zelenia is coming up with, right? So in in uh, from Alpha to Omega, we've talked about how the Leninist party form is just determinative uh, of of produ- reproducing the same kinds of problems across organizations and across circumstances. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, having that notion of the party form, or in other words, the organization, allows us to identify that commonality and to act upon it. But the only way to act upon it is in a material sense, right? Um, and, And so there is, like, in some way, the structure must revise the organization and having a consciousness of a common class of organization across different individual structures is valuable because it lets us see, oh yeah, it's not just the Socialist Workers Party. It's not just the official CP. It's not just, uh, you know, XYZ organization. It is actually a common problem um, that exists across all of these structures, um, and that allows us to, to, to act. But I mean, it, it, it cannot be the case that you have a, such a generic class of thing that is acting upon the world and creating all of these consequences, but it is totally distinct from the world, right? Like that just doesn't make sense. Um, like, unless you're an idealist and you believe that thought is discreet from reality. Yeah, it's like, yeah, get get, get that fucking platonic crap out of here. Like, I, I do not want that near me. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, this 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 gets to, like, um, you know, like, you, you get to things like, like, uh, like Spinoza's answer, right? There's a world of thought, there's a world of being, uh, of material, and, and the two of them are perfectly coordinated by God. They have, they have no actual... Mm-hmm. Uh, causal interaction with each other, but God makes sure that everything happens at the same time in the right way so that it appears that they do. <laughs> right? Like, like this is like a really weird kind of problem, right? Uh, but yeah, so like, you know, I appreciate the idea that like organization matters. It's worth thinking about it. But like past that, like when you get to the question of okay, how do we change the organization? I don't think this theory is going to have anything useful to say about that. Certainly not in the form that it's presented by Maturan and Varela. And like I think I think it's when you get to beer that you start to actually get somewhere useful, um, because it's then open to mutation, right? That like because I think I think in in general like thinking of an uh, a, an organism or a system as having uh, distinct, like qu- quite structural elements to it, like um, it's kind of like particular material components and also having 
this set of rules, like the way Zelenye puts it is that it's a set of, a set of rules and like directives. Um, and that's the, at the organizational level. It makes, it, it makes a sense, right? Like, um, especially like when you think of that whole thing of like, um, somebody who's going to like go and go and work for ice or go and work for the NSA or whatever, and, you know, change the system from the inside. It's like, no, you will be operating at the structural level and the, the organizational loop won't be affected by you in that in that instance, but then you do need to have this like because we're, we're materialists, right? There has to be a sense in which the organization exists in the material world, and it has to be available yeah. for mutation. Then that um, thinking of them as eternal and like separate from the world uh, in this platonic way is is a dead end. Um, but making the distinction or some kind of fuzzy distinction between organization and structure or maybe even different using different terminology um i think is still useful because it it gives you a sense yeah of why it is that the why is it that every fucking trot sect acts like a trot sect like yeah and you know? I, I, I think one answer to that is that we think about the founding of an organization as a radically discrete event in history um because it it gives an identity to a thing but actually, there is a continuity between these things. Right. right. It's a process, not an event, right? Yeah, yeah. It, like, it is, it, is, it is functionally useful because, you know, we want, we want to have an identity function for these things. We want to be able to identify them to, to draw these distinctions. But it is not, like, out of the ether, or sorry, out of the ideal realm, the idea of the Leninist party form was instantiated just like ex nihilo in <laughs> this party. Yeah, yeah. It's actually people interacting with each other, learning these things from each other, and then going on and reproducing them. And so, like, we can kind of think about, like, I, I think the way out of this is, like, to view the organization as an emergent property, right? And, 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 and does that necessarily solve all these problems? No, but I do think that it is a more successful approach than one that is unable to interact with the notion of change, right? Like, it, it, it's it's just like, well, where, where are you going to go with that, right? Like, it, I, I can't see it being useful. Apparently, this, this, this stuff, like the uh, Maturana and Varela's work, uh, actually, inter, inter uh, sorry, inform some uh, therapeutic approaches, uh, which is like very strange to me because <laughs> you know it doesn't seem to have a lot of ability to cope with change. And the process of therapy is actually to affect change, right? Yeah, That's the purpose of it. Absolutely, so, right? So it, it, it's very like either there's something that we are missing here. But I, I think I think I think we are I think we are getting a pretty pretty good grasp of the fundamental outlook of, of this this view of autopoiesis. Yeah, and um, yeah, a full agreement on and the more productive way to view this is that the organization emerges from it emerges from the structure, and then once it's emerged, there's there is perhaps a um, recursive loop between organization and structure. Well, that, because that's the thing, right? Is that the structure is never actually discrete from the organization right like this the the if you go back to the the description of 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 structure 
Uh, it says uh, structure refers to the actual components and relations between components that make up a particular example of a type of system. And it's like, well, as soon as you have the components and the relations between components, there is implicitly the presence of organization, right? And in, 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 um, if we think about uh, organization as uh, a uh, relation, uh, an emergent property of relations, then um, I don't know if we need the concept of capital O organization. Yep. Because the the thing the thing that the organization does is already in the structure. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the final statement, organization drives the structure, structure for, follows organization, and observer imputes function, um, is like, okay, but how does the organization drive the structure if the, if the organization is discrete from reality, right? It, it, just, it just doesn't follow. So, um, yeah, like it literally says structure follows organization, but organization has no motion yeah like it's, it's that <laughs> right? so problem, how would right? it follow right yeah. <laughs> um and, and 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 yeah and then the the observer imputes function okay i think we're all on board with that right like that that is the black box idea pretty pretty unobjectionable lashbyism yeah <laughs> certainly <laughs> yeah yeah the observer it imputes function like in the sense that human beings impute uh the the frog thinking about getting the fly and then getting the fly, like that it impute, imputes some kind of function there that is actually quite different when you look more uh, more carefully and then you impute a different function which is like oh the nervous system is just tracking motion and and correlating behavior to that okay right um, uh, yeah I, I I don't know I I think that might be a more productive way of thinking about this certainly I like this um this notion of like um. We've gone from a kind of uh, false stratification, like a false stratification of organization from structure, and then immunitized us. Like we've we've, we've sort yeah, of brought it back to earth. We're, we're, Mar we're Marxists, yeah, right? exactly. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. So, yep, yeah, back in back in the solid ground of materialism and and imminent. Uh, imminent relations and sort of material relations between things and material systems uh, and embed embeddedness in the real world. I think we've ended up in a much safer place than, than we started at the beginning of the essay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, will that like, is that approach able to uh, appeal to our intu intuitions in an equally satisfactory way across the board? No. Right. Because we, 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 like, we have intuitions about, like, oh, that's a crow. Okay, I, I know what crows do, uh, right? But it also is able to appeal to our intuitions about motion and time and uh, becoming and stuff like that in more satisfactory ways that, that this kind of a, a idealist approach is, is utterly unable to totally. do. I mean, we should we should gesture to Marx there of the the whole thing of just being being suspicious of our uh, our instincts about things that like the, the the processes themselves, when properly investigated, can be much weirder than our uh, our intuitions would lead us to believe. Um, 
And materialism is weird, right? Like it's 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 stranger than idealism in some ways. When, when we come at it, oh, when definitely. we come at it from that angle of like our intuitions, like uh, that 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 fucking weird idealist stuff makes a, an intuitive sense that is is deranged. Uh, you know, when it when it's actually kind of uh, really really an- analyzed on its own terms. Um, and materialism is kind of strange, right? Like the it, it can be it can be a counterintuitive way of thinking about things, but we got to do it because it's the right yeah, way to do it. And I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, like I can kind of get on board with what they're saying about like our our the, the structure of our thinking does impose limits on what we are able to think right uh what what is conceivable to us and in that sense our intuitions do determine the scope of our investigation of reality but I don't think you need to ground that in a transcendental background. Because, uh, uh, you know, we, yeah. Like, there are very banal sort of material explanations for that, right? Yeah, like, even, like, computation theory can give us an account of why that is the case uh, that doesn't involve an appeal to uh, transcendental categories uh, in, a, in a Kantian sense uh, or, 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 a, or a platonic sense. Cool. Um, is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I think I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, I think there's a lot more to be said about this subject. Obviously, um, I I think uh, I'm I'm interested to maybe look at some forms of. Uh, cybernetic biology that do not conform to this model right i i i'm interested at finding uh or in finding um examples of work that is finding some kind of middle ground between um radical uh transcendental being and radical becoming the the radical chaos of becoming the 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 body without organs <laughs> fucking stuff at the other end of that spectrum right yeah yeah totally y- yes yeah 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 exactly uh that is not uh like I want to read more Stafford beer but I w- I want to find examples outside of Stafford beer that also try to do that right and and so it's it's like you know, um, I think there's a lot to, to go forward on here. Um, and, uh, again, I would just stay, state that, like, I think the, the materialist approach or the, 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 um, the Marxist approach to this is, is in my opinion, more productive than, uh, the idealist approach, uh, because, uh, it's, it's when you, when you actually start to, to investigate a little bit more deeply, you see how these things fall apart. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, I think that's, that's kind of my, my, my final thoughts on this article. Yeah. Um, yep. Pretty much entirely agreed. Um, it certainly sets up some problems. Um, and I think it is instructive. It was instructive to really dig into the kind of the origin point for this autopoiesis idea and, um, and stuff because because it is a big influence on on beer and and you know the other the other thinkers that are quoted later in the essay here um Zelenye and then going on to Espeo and everyone all the kind of contemporary cyberneticians right they're all they're all kind of feeding off of this but yeah it's i don't think it's an accident at all that they 
they seem to like leave behind this um, kind of idealist aspect of it and and kind of tweak the the concepts to to suit um, a more properly cybernetic understanding of the world. Um, yeah, um, and one thing I would add actually uh, to relate this back to Marxism is this is this is a very relevant debate when talking about historical materialism and the categories of historical materialism, right? So when we were talking about feudalism, slavery, capitalism, socialism, that kind of thing, um, it is useful to question the solidity of those concepts and their transhistorical existence. Because Marx was not approaching those problems from that perspective, right? Like, I feel like there is baggage that that Marx brought in because he was not the first person to come up with this kind of uh, stagist uh, schema for history, right? Like, there's a there's a there's a Christian background to that stuff, uh, and you can you can read about it if you dig a little bit into the the history of like Saint Simonianism and where socialist ideas sort of originally came from. You can see like, oh yeah, there's like a there's like an idealist background to this stuff. Marx was trying to do something different. He was trying to identify emergent phenomena in history and categorize them in the interest of just simple like usability, right? He wasn't just trying to say like, oh, it's all flux, right? He was trying to identify patterns. But he wasn't saying that those patterns existed outside of any given social formation or any or of material reality, or even outside of the um, even outside of the the, the the skull of the observer, really, right? Like to kind of touch back on Ashby, that like the the the, the distinctions we draw as observers and the categories we apply are utilitarian, like to to the utility of continuing as beings, um, and that the we only draw distinctions that are actually worth drawing in some, in some context. And there's there's a deep sort of material involvement in a in a context rather than anything anything beyond anything anything transcendental. Yeah, and so I guess I would say to like the people who look at attempts to break down the solidity of historical materialist categories uh, because they want to have the certainty of a historical schema. Like I understand that. Like that's. That's honestly one of the main reasons why Marxism ever became popular in Japan is because it gave people categories to think about the chaos of modernity. Um, but like to the people who are just going to cling on to the solidity of those concepts, like you're not being a good materialist. This that that is that is not Marx's method, and and you should be willing to look at the contours of those concepts and how they relate to reality, uh, how they emerge out of reality in a more detailed and considered way. Mm -hmm. We, um, we, we got to get rid of the cling, you know, the, uh, the, the paranoiac tight butthole reflex of clinging and like clinging to the rocks or whatever. That's got to be fucking purged. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 and like, you know, uh, oftentimes like, People on Emancipation Network are described as being orthodox Marxist, and it's like, okay, yeah, fine, I can accept that that title, like that that more or less. But even if that's true, 
uh, I would not describe myself as a fundamentalist, right? Because, you know, the thing about fundamentalism is it goes back to the basics of the text, but in the process destroys the text itself, right? It, it asserts something that was never there in the name of that clinging, right? That, 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 that certainty. Uh, and we don't need any of that. Give up uncertainty, folks. It's not there. It's a fucking illusion. Good stuff. And it's just, it's bizarre to me that this stuff comes out of thermodynamics when certainty is not in the vocabulary of thermodynamics. That is very interesting. You know? <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> I'm like, I think this is, um, th- th- this is one of the things that tickles me about, like, um, Deleuze and Guattari's kind of attempt to kind of bring psychoanalysis into materialism. And yes, it has fucking problems, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, when we look at this Maturana fella, and like, I think you, you were saying earlier that he, one of his influences was this weird fucking reactionary sort of thinker, right? This Heideggerian. Yeah, you uh, exkill. Right. Yeah. It's hard, like, so this person engages with, um, yeah, as you said, with thermodynamics, with a, with a, a science that gestures very strongly towards certainty being a, a total illusion. And yet there is a seemingly a, a psychic desire for certainty and closeness. And the, you know, the, 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 the psychological state of the agent in this case does imprint itself on the work, of course, because how could it not? Um, and if we're being if we're being proper materialists, we have to ask what what is the state of the author, and what what are their particular desires? What are their particular biases? Well, bias is maybe a, a too too light a word for it, right? Like I'm kind of getting at this like what 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 are their desiring machines telling them to say? <laughs> you know, because um, mm. that mm. that can't be yeah. a fucking accident, right? That like this Yexkul guy is an influence on Maturana, and then by coincidence, you get this really tight butthole sort of conservative uh, um, ontology of of something that is supposed to like of a science that gestures in the opposite direction entirely right there is there is a an emotional psychological commitment here to to closeness and lockedness right there is a uh, reaction to thermodynamics which goes along the lines of structure and information counteract like autopoiesis counteracts entropy. Um, and that line of thinking can lead to a kind of quest for immortality within thermodynamics. Uh, and if we ever get a chance to read machine dreams, uh, we'll get into that in a lot more detail. Um, because, uh, cause Murawski gets into that pretty, pretty deeply, um, in, in looking at, I mean, we should read both of his books. Uh, more heat, more heat than light, and, and machine dreams because they both get into like the history of thermodynamics and how that figures into our modern thinking. You think we should schedule that for pretty pretty early next year? Maybe they are very big reads, so we, we're going to need to give some room to that because they, they you don't like not to be taken lightly. Like <laughs> they're, 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 it's, it's they're difficult. They're difficult texts, but I think next year is is a good 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 time to do that because uh, yeah, I should have the the spoons to actually get into something a little more certainly. Anyway, yeah, uh, that was a hell of a read. Um, thanks, listeners, for sticking with us on this one. Bit of a slightly different format than usual, but. Um, hopefully still enjoyable um oh i don't know what we're doing next time but uh in the meantime while you're waiting for that you can catch up with us on twitter <laughs> at geo unit pod we're on facebook all the podcast apps subscribe 
all the usual shit. Um, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash general intellect unit, throw us five bucks a month and you'll get access to our community discord in which we're going to have to ask the folks there if they know of any kind of post Berian um, bio cybernetics stuff that will be more interesting than this. Um, that's the place to ask those kind of questions because there's some really smart folks there. And some other smart folks that we're associated with are our sister shows, um, From Alpha to Omega and Swampside Chats. We're part of the Emancipation Network, um, crazy bong-ripped Marxist podcast network and, and research collective. Um, they're wonderful shows. Go check them out. Especially check out From Alpha to Omega, the Revolutionary Strategy series, which, Kyle, you've been a guest on uh, for, for like the back half of the series. Yeah, like quite a few times at this point, and... Uh... At, by by the time this is airing, we will have finished the revolutionary strategy uh, series. I have no confidence that'll have happened. <laughs> it's been so like, long. We've, we've got like four or five pages left. Okay, like it's it's really <laughs> down to the line now. Uh, and you're so, telling me that won't take six months to fucking cover? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I fully expect the 18th Brumaire of Louis, Louis Bonaparte. Something that generally takes like an afternoon to sit down and read, we will manage to cover in like a half a year or more. <laughs> uh, but, but I do believe by the time this airs, the Revolutionary Strategy series will be finished recording, yeah. even if it's not all up on Solid the internet. Qualification. That's that's my that is my <laughs> my educated guess. Uh-huh. I'm teasing. It's it's a great series. Check it out, folks. Um, it's truly wonderful. Um, I think that's about it. So I guess we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Bye.